Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 167. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, X marks the spot, while I play installation origami, striving for a full Al Gore. Welcome back, and if you're new, great to have you with us, and welcome to the Map Bites family. Map Bites is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit, and so much more. We also review apps and, as IT professionals, share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show, and just to prove that, let me share one of our stories from the Newbie's Guide to MacBytes that you'll find at macbytes.co.uk. Today's blast from the Newbie's Guide to MacBytes past, well, the wild adventures we had when our very first iPads arrived back in 2010, from MacBytes episode 44. From concrete porridge to the magically multiplying iPads, Mike managed to materialise in Manchester two days later. Well done with that line. Mike would never have managed it. Well, not without losing the Mac Bites teeth, he wouldn't. Thank you. There was so much more in the way of fun and frolics in that episode. If you've never heard it, you need to listen straight after this episode. If you have heard it, I think it's time for a re-listen. We heard from Jammy during MacBytes After Hours on Friday night. He was horrified that we'd left the kettle story on a cliffhanger. What did Jammy want to know? Well, what happened to the kettle? (laughs) Well, I, I am happy to report that the peasants revolted. There was no work done until it was returned. My boss had to get involved and actually liberate the kettle. You could not make this up. A solicitor having to take time out of work to rein his father in and liberate a kettle. Can you see now why I left and started working for myself? <clears throat> so, on to a range of crazy Apple or tech-related news this week. I say crazy. Spotify have increased their prices. That's pretty much to be expected, isn't it? It's a £1 or $1 increase across the board. They actually have multiple accounts. You may not be aware of this. The personal account is going up from 9 99 to 10 99 There is a thing called a duo account, and that is for couples, and that is the one that Mike and I have. So that is 14 99 having gone up from 13 99 The account type we used to have was a family account. Because at no point did they ever let us know that the duo account was a thing, because that would have been saving us £3 a month. Once we found out about it, we switched to it. But the family account we used to have has gone up from 16.99 to 17.99. Are you paying it? Are you using Apple Music? Are you using something else? Let us know. We need to know. Uh, we decided it's a pound. I'm, I'm not fiddling. <laughs> and seeing as though we share the account, that it's 50 pence. So we'll live with it. But don't do it again, Spotify. You're on, you're on notice now. I've clocked you. And um, then talking of money, mm, are you in the market for a pair of Apple branded trainers? If you are, I have you covered. Sotheby's have a pair available for only time to sit down again. $50,000. Now, before you balk at the price, do consider that it's cheaper than Johnny's turntable from last week. These things were custom made for company employees back in the 1990s and given away at a sales conference. The condition is listed as, air quotes, consistent with age. Dread to think what that actually means. But do let us know if you place a bid. 
I did see a photograph. They just look like trainers with an Apple logo on. But, you know, people are crazy, aren't they? Uh, oh, now, yes, more about money. If Apple find any more pairs of those trainers, you know, lurking in a Cupertino cupboard, they might come in handy because Apple are being sued for a billion dollars. That's 785 million in the UK. And it's by UK app developers, all to do with its app store fees. Yes, another lawsuit. I can't keep up either. Doubtless it'll rumble on for years, as have all the others. How times have changed from the event where Steve Jobs announced the App Store to complete rapture from developers. I watched that video the other day in relation to something completely different. It was another one of Steve Jobs' masterful presentations, but it, the strangest thing was to see him have to explain exactly what an App Store was and how people may use it. I put a link in the show notes if you want to reminisce about that one. But the biggest smile of the week I saved for this one. It was the news that Tim Cook had his initial application for an Apple card rejected. <laughs> oh my. Nothing to do with his solvency, of course. The reason given was that he was too well known, meaning that he was a prime candidate for identity theft. Well, that's hardly his fault, is it? Surely not a good enough reason to decard him. Why don't the banks do more to ensure that he is the real Tim Cook? Now, debanking is a hot topic here in the UK right now. But with more businesses going cashless, having cards and or a bank account is critical. It should be up to the banks to find a way to secure the accounts. Anyway, it all ended happily for Timmy. He got his Apple card in the end. Can you just imagine if he hadn't? Well, just let me savour that for a moment. Right, I've savoured it now, although I could savour it for much, much longer. No, get on with it, woman. What a week it's been for the artist formerly known as Twitter. After months of threatening it, Elon finally detwittered Twitter, rebranding it as X. I can't see the logic in it. If you wanted a brand called X, why didn't you just create one and save yourself the $44 billion you paid for Twitter? You could think he wanted to save himself the trouble of gathering users. But his shenanigans have seen folks leave the platform in droves. So within a week, we had a new name, a new logo, a new app and a new official Twitter account. Talking of which, he reappropriated that without recompense to the Twitter user who'd used it for over 16 years. At X is now at X123456789 Catchy handle, hey? Mm. Talking of names, the former Twitter app is now X on Google Play. But when they initially changed it, it was still showing as Twitter in the iOS app store. And that was thanks to Apple's rules that app names need to be between two and 30 characters. However, even then, the app did show up as X once it was installed. Talk about open to confusion for the less technically savvy. I did notice today, though, that X is now showing as X in the App Store. Mm -hmm. Tim and Elon sitting in a tree. Bromance much? Anyway, I am currently still on Twitter. It's certainly not the same place it was back in 2008, though. It was a joy back then. 
A lot less so now, but that's mainly due to folks leaving. I've long since muted mentions of stuff I have no desire to see. But I'm wondering how much longer the platform we knew before Elon will last. Surely it's on its way out now. Now, Threads is an alternative, possibly the hottest alternative right now. But without a feed limited to folks that you choose to follow, I can't see it taking over anytime soon. Even Mark Zuckerberg admitted they've lost 50% of their registered users since the launch. I was visiting every day until they accosted my eyes with a post from a Kardashian. I've no idea which one, obviously. They all merge into one, given my limited exposure to their world. But as if that wasn't bad enough, that was painful. This was possibly worse. My eyes were also accosted by a woman dressed in the tightest superhero costume I've ever seen. And I do use the term dressed with caution. I want to see posts from people I choose to follow in the order they were posted. Latest first. Is that really too difficult a concept to grasp? Anyway, I'm Elaine Giles on Threads, so feel free to follow me and I'll follow you back. In the hope that one day I might be able to see what you post, rather than some random folks I don't know, only wearing some scraps of clothing. I'm at Thomas Mike 67 on Threads. Mastodon is another alternative, and I did create an account on there. It's more of a challenge than Twitter. I think that's the distributed nature of it, which seems to put people off. But if you're there, so am I. Elaine Giles at Mastodon.social. And I'm Thomas Mike at Mastodon.social on there. Much talk about the new Beats headphones in the last week, too. I'll admit it. I find it very difficult to get excited over headphones. Many others do, though obsessing over every little detail. Folks are falling into one of two categories. Incandescent that these Beats are better than the AirPods Max or incandescent that they're not better than the AirPods Max. I guess it depends on what you want. I'm pretty much an observer in all of this audio lusting. I'm happy with my One Audio headphones. The Beats look no different than the previous model to me and I thought the previous model looked a bit What's the word I'm looking for? Just say it, girl. Cheap. They looked plasticky and cheap. And they look exactly the same as far as I'm concerned. But I do think the Beats case is way better than the bra that comes with the AirPods Max. It's a compact zippered case and it's semi-rigid woven fabric. I think that means it's got some band to it. It also has an integrated exterior loop to carry them by a finger or add to a clip and interior pockets to keep the USB-C and 3.5mm cables organised, and even an additional extra zippered interior pocket, which can hold small items. That'll be what's left of your money when you've bought them. In a green flag-waving move, the headphones also come in new 100% fibre-based packaging. I think that means they'll dissipate to dust within six months, but he didn't actually say that. Of more interest is the fact that it looks like an AirPods Max 2 could be with us as early as September. Got to keep up with each other, these things. But will it be a radical redesign or a paint job? You know, 17 new colour variations and an optional sports bra instead of the current monstrosity of a case. Time will tell. But I already know they'll have a tough job prizing cash out of me for any of them. What about you lovely Mac biters? Love the AirPods Max or evidencing a healthy scepticism? 
I'm in the healthy scepticism category. If you saw After Hours Show 200, you'll no doubt remember the unboxing of my mum's new laptop that we bought her for a birthday. You might be wondering why we were unboxing it, since it was her birthday gift. Well, you don't think we'd leave her to set it up on her own, do you? That way, madness lies. Given what happened to you, I'm extremely glad we didn't leave her to her own devices. Well, setting it up was a story in itself. Just to set the scene, she was given a laptop by a friend many years ago. That one was old and second-hand, but it works for what she needed it for. Email, surfing the web, looking at photos, that kind of thing. And then, in August 2020, it broke. So I gave her my Windows laptop, which was about three or four years old at the time. I had my Surface, so I wasn't using it. It was August 2020, six months into the pandemic. Greater Manchester was in a level three lockdown, and the local mayor was in the midst of a very public battle with the government regarding said lockdown. You might remember we talked in MapBytes 133 about how we dropped the laptop off at her flat in a sanitised plastic bag and left it on her doorstep. Well, three years on and that laptop still works, but it's now six or seven years old. It's slow and it throws up errors from time to time. So in June, with a big birthday coming up, we decided that it was time she had a new one. So we bought her an Acer Inspire 3. It was an Intel Core i5, had 8GB of RAM, a 1TB SSD and a 15.inch screen. It also had Windows 11 pre-installed. We ordered it from Costco, which was the same place that I got my Windows laptop. And the day after ordering it, I got an email to tell me it had been dispatched. Within hours, I had another mail telling me they could no longer supply the laptop. Because of that, they'd cancelled the order. So it was a case of wait and see if it actually arrived. According to Reddit, it seems that Costco cancelling orders is a thing. Anyway, they lied. It hadn't been cancelled and duly arrived the following day. On first boot, it spoke to me. Instructions on how to set it up, the language and the keyboard. That's my Windows buddy, Cortana. The first step in setting up any Windows laptop is to enter the Microsoft account details. She's got two Microsoft accounts. One uses her TalkTalk Talk email address, and this was set up for her when she first got her original laptop. The other account, which uses her Gmail email address, we set up three years ago, and we consider that her primary Microsoft account. She uses that one to share my OneDrive, so she gets one terabyte of space. I picked the wrong account, entering the TalkTalk Talk email address and password. If I'd known the consequences of doing that, I'd have been more careful. Live and learn, hey. I won't make that mistake again. That sounds like you're thinking of setting up Windows on a regular basis. No way. According to Google, it is possible to change the Microsoft account used on a device. You go to Settings, Accounts, Your Info, and you create a local account, and then sign out and sign back in with a local account. You then change it back to sign in with Microsoft account and choose the correct account. I did the above and was able to successfully log in. However, the screen was completely black, although there was a mouse pointer. The pointer did respond to mouse movement, but nothing else happened, i.e. no desktop appeared. After 20 minutes of nothing, I did the old turn it off and turn it on again. 
I would have done your wait for twenty-four hours, but it was Saturday and I had something else planned for the Sunday. I found an article on Reddit, the link's in the show notes. Ever since I've upgraded to Windows 11, I've had the same issue. I turn on my PC, log in, and it's just a black screen with a cursor, which sounds exactly like the problem I was having. Further down the article, somebody had posted a suggested solution, which I followed. Press alt Control delete click the power icon on the bottom right. Hold the shift key down and click restart to restart the device and boot into a menu. Then from this menu, it's not a Windows menu, it's like a boot up menu, you click troubleshoot, advanced options, uninstall updates, uninstall the latest quality update. I tried uninstalling the latest quality update and it didn't work. The message just said it was unable to do it. There were other options on that reset menu, so it was time to investigate them. So alt Control delete click the power icon on the bottom right, hold the Shift key down and click Restart to restart the device and boot into a menu. Click Troubleshoot, Advanced Options, and this time I chose Reset and Keep Files. That basically does a reset of the PC, but keeps your data. Once reset had completed, the login screen appeared with the username that I'd originally used. The reset evidently didn't delete the account. I was able to successfully log in, but with the wrong account. At least I was logged in and I had a Windows desktop, not a black screen of death. So the next thing to try was to add a Microsoft account. I restarted the device and attempted to log in with her Gmail account. I was able to successfully do so, but once again, I was faced with a black screen and a mouse pointer. I left it for 30 minutes in case it was doing something in the background, but after 35 minutes, there was no progress. So back to that reset menu. This time to do a full reset, the new compave option. Alt Control Delete, click the power icon on the bottom right, hold the shift key down, click restart, boot into the menu, click troubleshoot, advanced options, reset and reinstall Windows from this device. The laptop, like many laptops, has a recovery partition to reinstall Windows. And after a short period, it was back to square one. Literally back to the point I was at about two hours previously when I turned it on for the first time. I started the setup again, this time logging into Windows with the correct account. Then it was the fun of a zillion Windows updates, followed by installing Office. Or so I thought. In fact, Office was already installed and up to date. Outlook needed configuring with her two email accounts, and once configured, I tested it by checking I could send and receive emails. I installed Chrome and made it the default browser. I installed Zoom. I uninstalled a 30-day trial of Norton Antivirus and installed AVG Free. And because she stores everything in OneDrive, all her documents were available without me doing anything, as long as I was logged into the right Microsoft account, of course. I tidied up the start menu, left only the essentials visible. I reconfigured the taskbar, added the essential icons, Outlook, File Explorer, Zoom. And of course, I moved the start menu to the left. For those that don't know, on Windows 11, the start menu's default location is still at the bottom of the screen, but now it's in the center. 
That just left me with a few bits and pieces that I'd have to talk her through on a Zoom call. Things like connecting it to her Wi-Fi and installing her printer driver because the printer needs to be physically attached to the laptop for that to happen. It was all change again for you this week, wasn't it? Indeed, but for good cause. It's the continuing saga of my three-monitor setup. I think we left it where I had two additional monitors that were previously upscaling to 2560 by 1440 using Resolutionator. But on the Mac Studio, they weren't upscaling. So I was in the market for two 27-inch 4K monitors. Why 27? Well, I'd measured the desk. It was the maximum the desk would take. Nothing that appealed to me during the Amazon Prime Day sale fitted the bill. But I did find two 28.5 monitors that were very nice. Some organisation would be required. I remeasured the desk. I'd almost talked myself into those when I made the fatal error of reading the reviews. Pro tip, don't do that. Well, not without lying down first and taking something to calm your nerves. One of the reviews mentioned that the monitor didn't work with their M1 Mac. Really? Alarm bells rang. That's the last thing I needed. It's a monitor. I'd have thought it would work with any computer. But then Apple aren't renowned for playing nicely with anyone else. And this wasn't just anyone else. No, this was Samsung. The review wasn't a one-star wonder or anything. It rationally stated that the monitor worked perfectly well with their gaming system. So that was what they were using it for. The issue was flickering on the Apple Silicon device. Now, I'd already gone through that. The random cable I'd used to test the Mac Studio and the 32-inch monitor when it arrived was fine. When I came to move the Mac Studio onto the main desk, I decided to swap the cable for a shorter one. There was no point trying to lose a two-metre cable behind the equipment when two foot would have done, which was when the flickering started. And this was a good quality cable too. But since neither the Mac Studio nor the monitor had flickered even once when using the original cable, I bought a new short cable. Problem solved. I did wonder if that was the issue for the reviewer. Cable quality matters. It matters more with HDMI cables than any cables I've ever tried in my entire life. Still, their experience was enough to put me off. Back to the drawing board. Contemplating the cabling and the general upheaval of installing two monitors, I'd almost talked myself out of changing what I already had. Which was when the genius idea struck. What genius idea, I hear you ask? Let me explain. I needed two monitors that I knew would work. I needed two monitors that wouldn't make the one monitor I already had look like the odd one out. The solution was alarmingly simple. Buy two more monitors exactly the same as the first. The only fly in the ointment there was they would be 32 inches and 28 and a half was going to be a squeeze. 32 inches would mean some serious installation origami to work. But it wasn't that simple. It never is, is it? No, not when it's me. No, it's not. The price of the monitor had increased since I bought the original, and that was back in May 2022. And it was bought when it became clear that Apple had given up on the 27-inch iMax. So I bought it for testing purposes, and pretty much it had done nothing else since, just sat on another desk, not even my desk. 
So the price had gone up. I started playing Russian roulette with the purchase page, waiting for the price to drop while watching the stock level dropping at the same time. It got down to them only having one monitor in stock, which would be no use to me. Wasn't meant to be, I thought, which didn't stop me checking the prices, obviously. Five agonising days after having my genius idea of three 32-inch screens, the planets aligned. The stock levels went up, the price went down, and I added two to the basket and hit buy before I talked myself out of it again. They were due for delivery on the Friday. DPD were bringing them, so they stood a better than average chance of actually arriving. Now, since I'd worked all night, I left Mike in charge of taking them in. What could possibly go wrong? An hour's delivery window was provided, and within minutes of their predicted arrival, DPD were here. And they delivered one monitor. Mike wasn't having any of it, but the delivery man assured him he only had the one. But he was confident another van would deliver the other. How is that efficient? Mike didn't have time to ponder that. He was pacing for the next 70 minutes until, as predicted by driver number one, driver number two appeared on the CCTV, replete with monitor number two. Mike could then relax at not having to contemplate enduring a weekend with me without my full complement of monitors. Fast forward to the Saturday. Installation took over four hours. If you're wondering, half that time was ripping out almost everything on the desk. The two previous monitors, the monitor shelves, USB charging bricks, lights, even the microphone needed to be recited. And that wasn't even the end of the fun. After it was all done, I sat looking at it for two days. Two days staring at a cable that wasn't long enough to be hidden. I caved and bought a longer one, which meant replacing yet another cable. With a number of cables I'd ordered by then, I think Amazon just assumed I was rewiring the national grid. But by Tuesday night, it was done. It was absolutely perfect. And on Friday, I shared the final setup to much approval from the MacBiters during MacBytes After Hours. Now, I first saw a three monitor setup back in May of 2007 when a photo of Al Gore at work was published. He had three 30 inch cinema displays and a Mac Pro. <gasps> that setup was my dream. It was perfect. I drooled over it for 16 years. <laughs> So now it's here and we're calling it the full Al Gore. Perfection attained. Related to that, if I ever mention changing or moving kit again, lock me up. There's a quote I'm saving for future use. We had some questions sent in about your monitors too. So let's start with why not an ultra wide monitor? Oh, ultra wide monitors look amazing. But. Sadly, they would be a nightmare for what I do. I'm doing constant live streams, webinars or videos, and it would completely ruin all my workflows. I can't really share. I mean, yes, technically I can share an ultra wide screen. It wouldn't be the best experience for anybody watching it, though. So I'd have to share just a portion of the screen. And as you well know, Mike, when you're trying to record a portion of the screen, dialogue boxes will open anywhere but where you want them. So I use the full screen 
and I have Moom set up to move things around so everything is in the right place for a recording or a live session. If I didn't do what I do, I may well consider that option. But having said that, I've been lusting after the full Al Gore for 16 years, so I'm pretty much married to a three-monitor setup. What else have we got? The next question was, why not Apple monitors? Oh, now that one's easy. That is simple enough. Have you seen the price of them? <laughs> Three of them are of the cheapest at 1499 would be touching £4,500 in total, or two kidneys and a lung. Another reason is to be able to repurpose these monitors if required without being concerned about Apple's obsession with control. So standard monitors give me more flexibility. The studio display is only 27 inches as well. Now, the Pro Display XDR is 32 inches. I didn't even know the price of those, but let me apprise you. They're £4,599 each or £5,499 with a nano texture glass. So, £13,797 to £16,497 just for the monitors. I hope that explains it. And the final question was, don't you spend half your time trying to find the application's windows? No, I'm used to three monitors. Not 32 inches, I'll grant, until now, but I am actually used to it. So I mentioned Moom, but I always place the windows in the same location. So with live streaming software, it's on the right-hand screen. My notes are on the left. My presentation's in the middle with the presentation notes on the left. Um, and the notes and the presentation are on the left because that's where my microphone is. I watch videos on the left in the top right-hand corner of the leftmost monitor, usually from Vivaldi, which handily remembers the position of the pop-out player and its size. So that's just genius. But I think... If you are having or thinking of having multiple monitors, make sure you do have something like Moom. Now, Moom is from many tricks and it moves and zooms windows to specific locations on the screen. There are plenty of alternatives out there for window management. Uh, Magnet comes to mind. I think there's one called Spectacles. I've just used Moom for years and years. It does everything that I want it to. I did contemplate in January, February of this year, when I switched from Alfred to Raycast, letting Raycast take over the window management. And it was almost perfect. It could pretty much do everything apart from two things. One, Moom has a setting which says put the window in the middle of the screen. But there's a toggle and you can toggle to have it in the physical middle of the screen or a little bit higher than that. And it's more of an optical middle of the screen. And I love the optical middle of the screen. It makes so much difference. And Raycast couldn't do that, didn't have that option. The other issue I had was one of the windows that I whiz around my setup, taking it from screen to screen, is the drafts input window. So drafts itself, absolutely fine. But the input window sits on top of every other window. So there's obviously some magic going on to make sure that it does that. When that window is active, if I use Moom, I can zoom it around from monitor to monitor. Try that with Raycast and it doesn't work. It's as though there is some, as I say, magic going on and it, it doesn't treat it as a window. So Raycast can't do that. So having moved everything to Raycast, I then deleted it all and took it back to Moom. So Moom wins that one. So I would highly recommend Moom if, you, if you're going for multiple monitors. 
Now, if you want to see the setup, do check out MapBytes After Hours 201. I've put a link in the show notes. We had fun with that. Oh, we did. It was grand. Now, I recently started a series during one of my Ship 30 cohorts. Given my new Mac Studio had just arrived, I decided to dedicate the entire cohort to how I was building up my new Mac. Now, the first time I posted for 30 days straight, it was something different every day and it was agonising. So for subsequent Ship 30 cohorts, I picked a topic and the topics have included 30 days to becoming a Vivaldi lover. I'd done Affinity Publisher twice. I've done Scrivener and this time it's building my new Mac. So my first post this time talked about Vivaldi and this was because it was the first app I installed. Now, that might surprise you. It surprised me as well, because it's usually one password on the basis. I can't do anything else until I've got one password installed. But it took seconds to realise I couldn't be doing with Safari. It was a parody of the old cancel or allow Apple ad. Every single thing I tried to download required me to confirm that I understood I was downloading a file, which was bad enough. But the age old option to automatically open safe files was still enabled. If only I could express my frustration with Apple's idiocy without losing the clean tag. There's no hope of that. Not with what you said. Exactly. Another thing that annoyed me with Safari was it never remembered where it was. So we were talking about the three monitors. Where should a window open? If I close an app and then I open it again, where should the window open? Where I left it, obviously. Safari? No. Whichever is the active monitor, it will open it on. It does remember the size. That's, that's good of it, isn't it? But most time I, I wanted Safari on the left while I was working on the centre screen. But because I was working on the centre screen, that's where it puts Safari. Obviously, I could use a keyboard shortcut in, from Moom and put it back on the left, but I shouldn't have to do that every time. This is simple, Apple. Just, just put it back where I had it when I closed it. So I instantly gave up on Safari and downloaded and installed Vivaldi. You know, my history with browsers is long, with copious numbers of them coming and going over the years. I do recall at one stage I had 22 different browsers installed. I'm happy to report Vivaldi has seen that number drop to two. And Safari's only there because I can't get rid of it. But Vivaldi is really the perfect browsing partner. I appreciate that literally everything is customizable, from the more trivial matter of the themes to shortcuts and automations. Customizable shortcuts is great, but the ability to keep the default shortcuts and add your own as well is amazing. Then there's the ability to tweak every aspect of the interface. So I put my tabs on the left rather than at the top. I prefer the sidebar to be on the right, which makes sense to me because my tabs are on the left. I totally hide the status bar. I also have a very minimal address bar. Extensions are an area that other browsers make such a drama out of. I don't want a huge swathe of icons stretching across the screen, but I do still need access to those extensions. Now, hiding them under the extension button used to work in any browser. But then Chrome started categorising those hidden icons according to the access required. That, what sense does that make? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. They were never in the same place twice. And that was 
on the single machine. If you went to a different machine, all bets were off. So it became a game of extension whack-a-mole. Now, Vivaldi solves that problem in two ways. One, there's no organisation based on access in that menu. But better still, you never even have to look at the menu because you can access any extension using the quick commands menu. Now, the quick commands menu in Vivaldi is like a Vivaldi hosted version of Alfred or Raycast. You use a single shortcut key, a menu option or even a gesture to display a command bar in the centre of the browser window. And then you type what you need. So for me, that's often Evernote to capture something to Evernote, Readwise to send something to Readwise, same for Dev and Think, and so many more. That keeps my Vivaldi interface completely minimal. But I lose no functionality. Add all that together with a feature added a few weeks back that proved to be game changing. And that feature is Workspaces. I didn't expect it to be anything like as much of a game changer as it's proved to be. You create discrete areas or workspaces that contain a specific collection of tabs. It's genius. I switch between workspaces dedicated to the separate jobs that I do. So I have workspaces for MacBytes, Ship30, course creation, social media. And of course, that means that the social media is kept from being distracting. Love that feature. Absolutely love it. Now, while I said the themes were trivial, there is an exception to that. You can now edit the actual images on the buttons. And that meant I was able to get rid of the pug-ugly jigsaw icon where you'll find the extensions. I created a custom icon which was much more reminiscent of the original down-facing toggle arrow. It's much more subtle. I really can't imagine now using another browser. And that's despite a couple of new options, including Arc and Sigma OS. I haven't even installed Google Chrome, which is probably a very good thing. Previously, I used Chrome for YouTube. But the pop-out player in Vivaldi is perfect for YouTube. It works on the iPlayer and any other videos that are required. And even better, Vivaldi for iOS is currently in beta. I've been testing it for a couple of months myself already. The last update added my number one wish list feature, and that was the ability to make Vivaldi the default. That was more important than I figured it would be when I got my hands on the first beta. The option was there, but it didn't work. But I soon realised that how I used a browser on iOS was mainly tapping on links in emails. And obviously that will open with the default browser which I still had set to Firefox. And it was, oh, it was tantalising to see that the option was there, but it didn't work. But it now does. So with that and everything syncing via the free Vivaldi account, it is positively perfect. They've just actually opened additional beta testing slots. So if you've not had a chance to try it yet, now would be a very good time. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. 
You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What are you doing? Shush woman, before she hears you. Then tell me what you're doing in her drawers. I'm not touching her drawers. Yes, you are. I can see you rummaging through them right now. Oh, right. You mean her drawer unit drawers. Obviously. What drawers do you think I mean? Well, I was thinking you meant a more personal kind of drawers. Sorry, even you wouldn't stoop that low. Um. No, of course I wouldn't. So what exactly are you doing then? I'm trying to find a replacement for my AirPods Max case. And you think you'll find one in her knicker drawer? No, but I'm pretty confident I'll find one in her bra drawer.